Hello, I'm Ray Reich, founder and CEO of RevOps Squared, and your host of the Metrics That Measure Up podcast. We talk to a wide variety of B2B, SaaS, and cloud thought leaders, executives, investors, and people just like you to discuss the metrics and benchmarks they use to make metrics-informed decisions. Now on to today's show. Welcome to today's episode of the Metrics at Measure Up podcast. Today, we are joined by Alex Thuma, founder and CEO of SaaS Talk and host of the SaaS Revolution podcast. Today, we'll be covering three main topics with Alex. The story behind the founding of SaaS Talk, how the SaaS Talk vision and mission has evolved over the last five to six years, and Alex's insights into the future of the SaaS and cloud industry on a global basis. Alex, Please take a moment to give a brief background overview of your journey to becoming a guest on the Metrics That Measure Up podcast. Yeah, thanks, Ray. Great to be a guest on the Metrics That Measure Up podcast. Yeah, I guess my journey has been one of, you know, after university, 11 years in sales and selling technology and getting into the cloud computing space. And I think before, you know, around like 2008, 2009, I was selling enterprise software and kind of got the bug for SaaS back at that time. Our software was actually on-premise software that we were selling, but it enabled SaaS applications. So, then I was coming across all of these great kind of tools that I was getting strangely excited about and curious about. And at the same time, I was looking for something entrepreneurial to do. And I wasn't 100% sure what that would be. But something kind of led me to start to write a blog around SaaS. And strangely, it may not have been a good idea, even though it panned out. Because I mean, two things was one that I'd never written a blog before. And as a writer, I was probably pretty lousy, you know, back then. And two, I didn't know a huge amount about SaaS at that time. It was all very new to me. So if you're inexperienced and not an expert and you're writing a blog and you're not that great at writing, how successful is that blog going to be? But perhaps I kind of recognized those pitfalls, you know, sort of back then. And I quickly kind of turned that into a community-driven blog where I did get experts coming in that contributed original content which actually put this blog, which was called Sascribe, you know, kind of on the map and made people aware of the content that we were putting out on the newsletter that we were building. And then I supplemented that with uh, a podcast, the SaaS Revolution Show, which is still going pretty much six years later. And that gave me the opportunity, the podcast, to connect with a bunch more influencers and people that are out there kind of in the weeds in SaaS, where I got the opportunity to learn from them and also share their stories through this SaaS podcast, which was one of the early B2B SaaS podcasts out there. Through that, I managed to build this network, build a bit of credibility, build an audience and a community. And that kind of all led to like, what am I doing with this? Where am I going? What's the direction? And I was still working full time at this point for this enterprise software company. And so it kind of got to the point where I was like, hey, there could be something here. I love what I'm doing with all of this and building this community. How do I monetize that? And I looked at some different things. And the thing that seemed to kind of be the, the one that would perhaps have the most chance of success And that seemed to have the most demand was running a conference in Europe for the B2B SaaS community. And then I had some question marks around it because, again, I had no experience in running events. First time entrepreneur, didn't have huge amounts of money to kind of put something like this on. But pretty much everybody I spoke to said, like, you know, this is what we want. Like, you're the guy to do it. So I kind of fell in love with that idea. I spoke to my fiance who was six months pregnant and kind of sold her. She was the first person I had to sell 
to say, look, this is what I want to do. And we're going to give up the only income in the house for me to move ahead with this. And once I've managed to kind of convince her, I left the business that I was working for. They were very good about it. I had six months runway and you could say the rest was history. One year later, we ran our first SaaS.com conference, which had 700 SaaS entrepreneurs from 34 countries attend in Dublin. And yeah, we took it from there. Wow, what a story. Number one, I did not know that Sascribe and the SaaS Revolution podcast were actually side hustles while you were still fully employed. And that's what led to SaaS talk. That's an amazing story, especially expecting a child in three months. So Alex, yeah. how has your mission and vision for SaaS talk evolved over the last five years? You've got a lot of experience now. Yeah, it definitely has evolved without like hugely straying from that, I guess, kind of original vision. I think like back then, the magic in SaaS in that kind of first year was like, I found that with what we were doing and what I was doing, like with the blog and the podcast was helping SaaS founders, right? And back at that time, while SaaS had been around for good, probably 15 years or so, when you look at like Salesforce and companies like that, what we were starting to see was that that growth each year of more and more SaaS companies going from the tens to the hundreds to the thousands of SaaS companies globally. And then many of these entrepreneurs that were building SaaS companies, most of them for the first time, really just trying to understand how to be successful, how to grow their SaaS companies, that the fact that it was a craft business, that growing a recurring revenue business was difficult. And a lot of the companies that were at the time were certainly, you know, they were taking that monthly recurring revenue and seeing that growth, but and not perhaps doing like annual payments and you know, seeing kind of slow growth and having a lot of challenges around that. But what I had sort of inadvertently done and kind of created was content that helped them. And then a community of people that were first time entrepreneurs that could connect and just share their stories and that kind of, you know, peer learning. And when we brought that all together at SaaStock in Dublin, that was when it really, it was almost like an epiphany that, hey, we'd managed to bring 700 entrepreneurs together from 34 countries, which was more than I expected, certainly from a country perspective, and it became much more than a European event. And all that happened was I brought them together, and maybe I'm slaying it down, but they just started talking to each other. And in one event before the main conference, we had like 40 entrepreneurs from 30 different cities across the world that all just started talking to each other like they'd known each other forever. And just straight getting into how do you do this? How do you do that? Et cetera. And just getting a lot of value. And at that point, I thought, wow, like, you know, we've created something really meaningful. And you know, I was very proud of that. And back then we were about how do we help SaaS companies survive and thrive? How do we help them get traction, grow and scale? And very much to this day, that is a kind of core focus of what we do and in everything that we do. And, you know, we've tweaked in terms of like our mission within the business. Our mission is really to kind of make a real difference to the lives and companies of those in the SaaS community. And I think when we look back at it, you know, over the years and also in the future, but when we look back at it over the years, there's been so many stories where we've done that and we've made that impact. And that's why we do what we do. And that kind of keeps our focus. And when we hear these stories, it's really nice to kind of get this feedback and see that and just makes it really worthwhile coming into work every day and do what we do. Well, I did not know your first conference had attendees from 34 countries. Is that what stimulated the concept? Let's go do this regionally and expand into Asia Pacific and Latin America. And how has that expansion went for you? Yeah, I mean, I think so. I guess that was perhaps an initial catalyst, although certainly I think in the first year or two, we certainly weren't thinking about international expansion. And as I mentioned like that, we thought of the initial SaaS doc as a European conference for European SaaS entrepreneurs, but actually... At that time, there was only one other SaaS conference globally, which was in San Francisco. And then there was us, you know, it's the first SaaS conference in Europe. And so only two SaaS conferences globally in a 12-month period. 
And I guess kind of like what happened was that, you know, you had founders in India and founders in Brazil and founders in Australia that I found crazily flew to Dublin. But it's because of the content that we were putting on was actually not just specific to those in Europe. It was applicable to anyone that was building a SaaS business. And this was an opportunity for them to come together with their peers. So it did have that international aspect straight away. But I wasn't paying too much attention back then to Asia Pac and Latin America and North America specifically as regions. What we did do, like after the first conference, was that we looked at where out of the 34 countries, where were the top 10 countries? And then within those top 10 countries, what were the capital cities of those top 10 countries? And then that kind of following year, we did a little roadshow predominantly around Europe where we did smaller SaaS stock events around Europe to these audiences. And we were attracting around about 200 people from each city in London, in Paris, in Berlin, and just seeing, you know, what sort of SaaS communities they had there, but actually not really generating much revenue kind of from that. Then we came back in year two to do a bigger conference. It doubled in size. And, and then we just started to think about, well, actually, we're seeing that these entrepreneurs are coming to Dublin from all over the world, that there are, you know, communities in these other regions and started to build bridges and relationships in those regions. And so, for instance, in Latin America, initially, I, I wasn't so sure what the SaaS community kind of looked like there. But from connections that I've made, in fact, from somebody, an entrepreneur called Eric Santos that attended the SaaStock conference in 2017 and flew from Sao Paulo to attend, or actually was based in Florianopolis. From that, struck up a, a relationship. And then he invited me over to Brazil, where I attended the Brazil SaaS Forum. And there I found 150 Brazilian SaaS entrepreneurs at this two-day event, which I attended, and really started to see that there was a scene there and learned that there was about a 1,000 SaaS companies you know, in Brazil alone. And from that, then actually that relationship evolved into SASDOC taking over the Brazil SAS Forum, rebranding it SASDOC Latam, and then giving us that kind of footprint in the Latin American market to really kind of put a, a more geographical kind of focus for the Latin American SaaS community. So that's kind of how that evolved. And then we looked in APAC and we we wanted to move to APAC and be this kind of, you know, global SaaS conference business and go into the various different territories. So we actually did one year when we kind of scaled up internationally in one year, one big bang, which actually had its drawbacks because that was very expensive to do. And with a lack of processes at that time, it had a real perhaps, you know, negative impact on the business in some ways. But we went into APAC and we wanted to be first in the market there. And what we found was actually, look, I mean, the market in APAC wasn't really kind of huge kind of at that time. And it's a few years behind Europe and, and the US for sure. But we saw the positives in that, you know, we can go there and really kind of have conversations. In fact, to many of them, it was like some of the, what is SaaS? Am I building a SaaS business? You know, why you'd want to build a SaaS business? Whereas obviously it was much more advanced conversations in the European and sort of US markets. So yeah, we've, we've always been kind of interested in not just having a European point of view or a Silicon Valley point of view, but seeing that there are global markets for SaaS and global communities and entrepreneurs you know, all over the world that have a lot in common, but operate within their markets very differently. And certainly the ones that are outside of the US and Europe and those that are in Australia or in Hong Kong, they have to be born global and operate globally their SaaS business and search for the global customers be international you know, in terms of language from day one, whereas it's very different thinking of the more established market. So yeah, a lot of learnings from that, but it's just so exciting to see like SaaS all over the world and the markets and how that's growing. Yeah, it's funny. I grew up in a very big company. It was very global and they taught me early on to think globally, but act locally. And that sounds like that was exactly kind of your evolution. But like many great entrepreneurs in Europe, 
they look at the North American and specifically United States market as an amazing addressable market opportunity. Can you tell us a little bit about the thought process and decision process to say, yeah, we're going to evolve this into North America also, Alex? Yeah, sure. So yeah, I mean, definitely, as you say, like European SaaS founders, certainly actually when we started the business, we had the first SaaS stock in 2016. The rule of thumb for a European SaaS founder was that you work on your your local market, which might be UK, it might be Germany, you might expand that to other countries in Europe. Although there are complexities with a European SaaS company that's trying to scale within Europe largely around the languages and the different cultures. So for instance, Intercom, well, a very well-known company, Unicorn Business. I was at their offices a couple of years ago and they've been established a long time and they were obviously huge in the US and some other markets, but they were only just starting to hire in France and only just, uh, I guess, internationalizing their product or localizing their product to be in French and because of the challenges around that. So they'd actually gone into the US long before going into France, which you know, made a lot of sense because the market is much bigger over there and it's the same language. So we would see these entrepreneurs, once they got to their first million or raised their Series A, the thing for them to do was then to try and crack the US market. Whereas if you're in APAC or certainly LATAM, their market is big enough. So you see a lot of them not even trying to crack the US, but building massive unicorns within just Brazil or within Latin America, RD Station being a case in point. And then those in APAC, the markets are so fragmented that they just really need to kind of, you know, be international, cater for the US market and other markets, you know, straight away. And for SaaS stock, I mean, when we looked at our scaling and our evolution, we certainly saw, well, look, we are catering for the, the European market. We've got interest in LATAM and APAC, but they're not very big markets. But obviously, one of the biggest market for software as a service is the US. The biggest market for events globally is the US then it makes a lot of sense for us to be in the US, right? And then we kind of looked at that and we saw, well, when are we going to move? How are we going to do it? And we had one of our sort of like main competitors in the space was in San Francisco, kind of you know running their event there. And we thought about, well, what about doing our event on the East Coast and doing it in New York? And so we ran our first SASLOC event in New York and we've run two in New York, but definitely like found some inherent challenges with that. One certainly being the cost of event space and, you know, the, the requirements of working with venues that have trade unions versus, you know, finding something different. And I think then also just like New York being quite the a different culture and a distraction almost, you know, for people when they're attending there. So we, we ran two good events on the East Coast, you know, in New York. Then we came back, I think a third year. And we moved our event to San Francisco as there was an opportunity and a gap in the market for a SaaS conference in San Francisco at that point. And we ran a conference there again, like we weren't going too crazy with our scale and just thinking about our roots. Ran a 700 person conference in San Francisco. That was great. And that was back in September 2019. And obviously then we had been looking at, you know, what we would do for 2020. But obviously, because of the impacts of COVID, we then weren't able to run conferences in person anywhere. So we then moved online and saw that the world, you know, had flattened a bit. So we ran a, an online conference, you know, for the global audience, some challenges around time zones there, and then did some more specific geographically focused conferences as well, just to try and keep the communities going there and adding our value in those spaces. And Alex, I know, you know, 2020 wreaked havoc on many industries, but especially the event industry. So I see that you have launched SaaS Stock Remote and you have your next event next week. How do you deal with this time zone challenges for SaaS Stock Remote? Do you have them on a regional basis? Yeah, yes, yeah, it's a good question. So we've got SaaS Stock Remote coming up next week, the 23rd to the 25th of February. And the first one we ran in June in 2020. And initially we wanted that, we wanted it to cater for the global audience. And we wanted that also to be a differentiator for our event in that 
it wasn't just US centric or all the top name CEOs from all the SaaS companies that are in Silicon Valley or just European CEOs. But actually, looking at like what SaaStock has done over the last five years, we've been running events in Latin America. We've been running events in APAC. There are some great entrepreneurs there, some great stories there. Let's try and run this sort of like global online event and have some entrepreneurs from these different regions make it a really kind of global feel and flavor and tell those stories. But then you obviously, you do have these time zone challenges, right? And I think we initially scheduled the event from like 2 p.m. UK time until I think it was like 8 p.m. UK time. But then we saw that some of the Europeans were saying, well, actually for us, this is at you know 4 p.m. or even 5 p.m. in Finland, where we've got a lot of good SASTOP fans. So we couldn't cater for everybody in Europe. So we pulled the time forward to like starting at midday European time. And then we had some of the US people and certainly on the West Coast were saying, well, like, you know, we will kind of want to attend this, but for us, we'd have to get up at four in the morning or something like that. So there are definitely these challenges. We ended up running that event from 12 till 10 p.m., two days in a row, so two 10-hour events. And what we saw, obviously very tiring for the SASDOC team, to, to run two 10-hour events online, although kinder on our feet because we're not running around a conference venue. But what we found was that the Europeans came in the first half of the event and the US folks, US audience came in the second half of the event. And then we had a mixture of people from other regions. The one region we couldn't really cater for very well was Asia Pacific. And it would meant that they would have to come at midnight or 1am until the following morning, of which I don't think that many people did it. But again, a benefit of being online is that a lot of the content is recorded and it's distributed afterwards. A lot of people take that option to like sign up and say, I'll just watch the on-demand content. And then that kind of loses a bit of the engagement, you know, at the events themselves. If you know some of the audience not necessarily there because they're waiting for the on-demand, because we're, I guess, living in an on-demand generation. But a lot of the value and a lot of the reason that people attend events in the first place is to meet other people like them, you know, their peers, other founders from across the globe. And you only get that when you actually attend the event itself. So we have seen with SaaS.remote Remote that the world has flattened a bit because of COVID. So that does give access to our events for anybody, wherever you are. So the events are becoming even more international. However, whilst that is the case, and we are sticking with SAS.LATAM online and just doing an event specifically for that region with entrepreneurs from that region and execs from that region and VCs from that region, and the same with SAS.APAC as well. Uh, we, we're not doing a specific one for the US because actually there's a lot of crossover from the SAS.Remote event for both the European and the US audience that we don't really need to do a specific one for the US. But we do one for Europe. And so SAS.EMEA, which is in October, and it's a replacement for our Dublin event. But from an online perspective and positioning, we've made that much more of a European market focus for now. But we hope to be back in person in 2022. And that Dublin event will become our global flagship event for people you know, from all over the world to attend and looking forward to bringing that back for sure. You know, I just had this brainstorm go off in my head, Alex, because I work with a lot of SaaS companies from about 10 million to 50 million. ARR is my sweet spot. And one of the most common kind of strategic discussions we have is global expansion, because most of my customers are US-based. They've done a really good job of penetrating. Maybe it's the commercial market and they went to enterprise, but like, oh, we want to go to Europe next or we want to go to Latin America. Do you actually have breakout sessions that help those entrepreneurs who are looking to scale outside of their own country, such as a U.S.S. company? What does it take to be successful in Europe or in Latin America? Has that been a focus of yours? We always have talks on internationalization, and so we've got a lot of content. Certainly, I would say more on 
how do you scale into the US, right? And I think that's you know coming from our roots unit, you know, having the conference initially in Europe. We haven't done so much around US companies, how do you scale into Europe? But what SASDOC in Dublin certainly had become, and also one of the things that we've become known for, is an event for these SaaS companies at the stage that you mentioned to kind of come over, let's say like test the waters, but get a bit of brand awareness, do a bit of recruitment, you know, at the SASDOC event, say, here we are, we're coming into Europe. And SASDOC was the first event and the first port of call that they came to in Dublin. Examples being people that did this, Gainsight, Salesloft, ZoomInfo, you know, they look at SASDOC and they come to SASDOC just at that point where they're thinking about coming into the market. And that's what we've acted as this like brand awareness opportunity for them to connect with the European ecosystem. But yeah, in terms of doing like breakout sessions on that, we haven't done so much for the US market, but certainly it's very interesting. Yeah, I had 20 engagements I did last year, and I bet 18 of them would love to speak to entrepreneurs who have had success expanding into the different regions of Europe. Because as you know, much better than I, Europe is not one country, it's multiple regions. UK is very different than the Baltics versus Portugal and Spain. Just finishing up that point, obviously, because people knew me because of Sastock. So I would get companies and like Lucidchart, as an example, and, and many others, that will come over and meet me for lunch and, um, you know, so, you know, give their my inputs on London as a potential office or Dublin as a potential office or Amsterdam as their potential first office and talking about the various kind of ecosystems and where these companies could potentially set up their European base. So definitely these companies have a lot of questions around that. Well, let's do what a lot of great entrepreneurs are forced to do, and that's pivot. And I want to talk a little bit about 2020. And, you know, there was a lot of difficult challenges for SaaS companies, especially early stage SaaS companies. But on the same time, the last time we had an economic downturn, 2008, 2009, great companies were founded, such as Slack and Twilio and Uber. Alex, what have you seen the momentum be for early stage kind of founders in the last year? Do you see it accelerating or kind of leveled off? I definitely think accelerating. And I think, I mean, obviously, like last year, globally, it was a down economic period. But SaaS, you know, if you're going to be in any industry, I think last year, SaaS was probably the industry that you'd want to be in. Because it definitely, whilst I haven't analyzed a whole bunch of other industries, the one that I'm close to, I saw it myself. SaaS had a banner year, right? It had a boom period with a caveat, right? That there were certainly when COVID kind of spread to Europe and, you know, it's coming over to the US and in that March, kind of April, May period, when there was a lot of fear and uncertainty in the world and people were understanding what, what do we need to do? What's happening? How are we going to cut costs? There was a lot of impact on SaaS companies in an adverse way where they experience huge amounts of churn, you know, and I would see like ourselves at SaaStock, you know, I got rid of about five or six SaaS platforms that we were using and paying good money for. Uh, and just to look at where do I cut costs? And the SaaS platforms were one of the first areas, you know, and another example, I interviewed Joel Gascoigne, the CEO of Buffer on our podcast last year, and they had gone from like 21 million or 22 million down to 20 million in ARR over the space of a couple of months, right? Because of the churn that they experienced as a tool that was offered to mainly SMBs who are going out of business and cutting costs. Now, thankfully, a lot of these companies, they've done a lot of the right things. And, you know, we've gotten through that fear and uncertainty, and they've started to recover, which is good. And there are also then many examples of SaaS companies that just really benefited 
you know, from this digital transformation and the obvious ones that have been spoken about a lot, like Zoom and Shopify and so on. And even the you know, SaaS.remote remote will be hosted on the Hopin platform. And Hopin grew to a two billion valuation within less than 18 months, right, of the product launching and the fastest growing SaaS company, I think, of all time, certainly to this point. So they really kind of benefited from this change, you know, everybody working remotely virtual events really becoming a hot sort of industry. And we also then saw like initially VCs had started to kind of, you know, slow down during that period of uncertainty of stopping funding rounds and doubling down on their existing portfolios. But now it's thriving. And, you know, a lot of VCs who said they would never invest in a company without meeting the founder in person are actually now finding it more efficient to do it online over Zoom or whatever technology they're using. And we're just seeing so much money now being like flooded in to the SaaS space because it's really benefiting. And I spoke to some SaaS founders who said, look, you know, we had our best month ever and we didn't do anything different. It's just like really taking off. So that's fantastic. So in the SaaS space, that's really kind of good to see. And what we're seeing is obviously there's a lot of people that have been working at various SaaS companies, you know, whether they're the intercoms of this world and Twilio's and Zoom's, et cetera, that are now obviously, you know, going off and then building their own SaaS companies with their own ideas, you know, having the courage to kind of build that technology because they're seeing that, you know, now is a great time to do that if you're in SaaS. Yeah, you talked about the SaaS market, you know, with my company, RevOps Squared, we do benchmarks of how SaaS companies perform. And what was interesting in the first half of 20, on average, SaaS companies had to reduce their new customer acquisition ARR plans by almost 50%. And then the second half of 20, we saw that was only reduced by about 20%. But what was really interesting in the large kind of, it's a little bit of selection bias, but the publicly traded SaaS companies, their stock value in 2020 went up over 100%. That was based upon the Bessemer Venture Partners Cloud 100 Index, where the NASDAQ, which is tech heavy, only went up 40% and the S&P Index went up 17%. So it was a great year for the larger SaaS companies. And Alex, that brings up the next question. You talk with hundreds, if not thousands of SaaS entrepreneurs around the world every year. If you put on your forecasting hat and get your crystal ball out, is there a region of the world that in the next three years or so that you think is just going to explode with the SaaS ecosystem and the dominance of SaaS as a delivery option? Yeah, good question. I think I got two kind of answers to that. One is that what I'm seeing now from when we first started SaaS Doc, and again, this is, it's an evolution which has been accelerated from you know what's happening in 2020. But now is that, you know, maybe the world in terms of SaaS is becoming less regional and is becoming flatter and that people are building, starting SaaS companies from anywhere, right? Before we saw, you know, I mentioned Joel Gascoigne and I'm just familiar with his story recently just because we've been having sort of conversations. But when he was starting Buffer, him and his co-founder decided that they had to fly to San Francisco and be in the mecca of startups and be in San Francisco and start there. And that's what a lot of people did, perhaps over the last kind of like 10 years. But now we're seeing, I mean, a lot of people from San Francisco are now moving to Miami and a lot to talk about that. But actually what we're seeing globally is that SaaS businesses and great SaaS businesses are being founded anywhere. And those founders that you would originally have thought a few years ago would have, once they got to a certain scale, they would have moved to San Francisco because that's what would have been required from them, you know, to tap into the, the US market or their investors would have required that for them, for the CEO to move to that location. Now they're not. And now that they're running their businesses, if it's in Chennai and in India 
or wherever, and they might have the US office and that'll expand, but they're keeping their headquarters, you know, where these companies were formed. So that's definitely one trend. But if I was to have a look at, you know, one kind of specific kind of region where I found it like positively surprising in terms of what they're doing and what they're building out there, I'd say Latin America has got some amazing SaaS companies. It's really big, very strong. We're seeing also that this is being recognized by VCs that are moving into Latin America like Andrus and Horowitz and others, uh, names escape me at the moment. But we're seeing a lot of activity in there, a lot of unicorns coming out of Latin America. And in these cases, a lot of these Latin American unicorns are not in the US market. You know, they're becoming unicorns within their own markets because they're big enough. And so I think that's exciting to see. So I think quite bullish around what's coming out in Latin. That's great insight, Alex. Well, unfortunately, we got to wrap up today's episode of the Metrics of Major Up podcast with a couple of questions just to get to know you a little bit more, Alex. So is there a CEO or company right now that you think is a must follow for SaaS entrepreneurs in 2021? Good question. I mean, a CEO to follow in 2021, I think personally, I'll just because I'm just thinking about it on the spot. One that I maybe I've mentioned twice, you know, on this podcast already. One is Joel Gascoigne from Buffer. And I think because for me, Joel has been somebody that's been radically transparent about the way that he operates his business. There's been a very person that's very kind of deep in thought and really kind of thinks about the well-being of his employees and himself, you know, as a CEO. And I think because of the impacts of COVID on the world and how it's changed my mindset in terms of, you know, how I want to be a CEO, what my work-life balance should look like and how I should operate in those ways, I've been looking a lot to kind of him and, and learning a lot from him. So I think a lot of us can look to Joel, learn a lot that would help us for the better. So yeah, Joel Gascoigne would be a, a good tip there. Great. Yeah, that's a good one. So you mentioned you had to go through some SaaS tool consolidation in uh, last year, but is there a tool that you recommend every SaaS company needs to be using? Yeah, another good question. Uh, for us, and it probably it's not new for anybody, but Notion has been one of those tools over the last uh, sort of year or so that we've deployed, and now it's really become so integral to the business for us. And like pretty much everything lives on Notion, so it's become one of the hubs for us. So we use you know Slack for internal communication and Notion for I guess kind of all our all our documentation and processes and systems and you know company information on there and yeah it's a, a fantastic tool. Okay, so Notion is your recommendation. And then let's wrap up with, you know, you graduated from the University of Westminster in 2004. If you were talking to yourself now in 2021 and said, "Here's what you need to think about to be the next Alex Thuma." What advice would you give yourself? Yeah, I would say don't wait as long as I did. I had a lot of entrepreneurial ideas, which actually probably started at university. I, I did a, an entrepreneurial uh, module and that kind of like started my appetite. And then over the years, I had a lot of ideas which I never acted on. And I, I waited almost kind of 10 years to really start my entrepreneurial journey. Um, so I would say if you get a good idea, really trying to test that idea and then don't wait to, you know, kind of act on it before perhaps somebody else does. So that's what I'd say. Well, that's great advice, Alex. I wish I'd have taken that because for almost 30 years, I helped a lot of VCs make a hell of a lot of money. And it took 30 years for me to go do my own thing. So I think that's great advice. Yes. Well, hey, Alex, thank you so much for being our guest today. And that's a wrap on this episode. And to our guests, if you find the guests and topics that we actually are hosting for those listeners out there, please, it would mean the world to us to 
subscribe to our podcast, give us a rating and provide your comments so we can make it better for you, our listening audience. Hey, Alex, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, Ray. Really enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to today's Metrics to Measure Up podcast. If you would like to learn more about B2B SaaS metrics and benchmarks, please visit RevOpsquared.com.